in short, give yourself plenty of time. I think the the idea because that, that kind of ended that question was interesting, which is what if you're what if you're done earlier than your launch date? Uh, you're not. Yeah, there's yeah. there's no <laughs> end to the work. There's actually. no end to the work. I've they, never heard a, I've never heard a game developer go, "Hey, my game's done." <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 117 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the summoner of robot armies. I'm Sam and I put nudes on things. And today is September 25, 2017. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. Uh, there's going to be swearing. That's it. That's, that's most of it. So yep. if you have a problem with that, then get out of here. I have a, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So uh, our last podcast, the month was September. Yeah. Now this month is September. Yeah. So are <laughs> well, these, we, are these was, two different months Yeah. or do we just have, so how many months does, does the butterscotch calendar? 52. Have? <laughs> <laughs> it's one, one month per week. <laughs> one month per week. Uh, Time flies over here. It is. Know? It is kind of weird how we use days within those, where where we just keep on adding one to the days, even when the months recycle. Yeah, you, you would know? think that's weird, but you'd be wrong. That's true. So, I guess I hadn't thought about it in that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have we have a we have a days that go somewhere in between like twenty eight and thirty one, and then yeah. they just restart arbitrarily. And then each week is a new month. Right. And months don't exist anymore. To be fair, it doesn't make any less sense than the actual that's calendar. True. Yep. So that's at so least we got that going for us. So it's fine. So uh, hey guys, mm. welcome to se- September. <laughs> welcome to September. Also, September is the beginning of fall, like legit September, fall, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure we fall started. Equinoxed. We equinoxed super hard last yeah. week. I'm excited for Jacktober. Jacktober which, is pretty good. Which is, of course, the month where everybody gets it's really a- jacked and then carves the shit out of some pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to get like that. It's hard to get the you knives. You get the knife in there. Yeah. You, know, you, yeah. you, get, you get jacked by making your jackal land. Yeah, because the thing is, jacked the thing is, when you're covered a pumpkin, you don't want it to take 12, possibly 13 minutes. No. You know what I mean? Like that's you got too long. That's too long. You got to get that down. You got to get that down to like six, maybe seven minutes. I will say, I actually bought pumpkin carving tools and a little scooper thing last uh-huh. year. Yeah, so did I. Like eight dollars. And usually, I'm just like, I'll just use a spoon, mm-hmm. do this by hand. It took me like 30 seconds to completely remove all of the innards yeah. from a pumpkin with this, this is tool. A, this is a tools problem. And it I turns out like, it helps. I have been ruining my entire pumpkin making existence. It was so fun to make pumpkin. Was it the shitty kit too? Because I got a shitty it kit. Was a shitty it was shitty kit. It was amazing. Yeah. It was like $3. Now imagine if you get super jacked. How and much? And do that. And do that. Well, why I mean, in that case, why don't you just punch holes into the It's going to be pumpkin. like a predator situation where you just grab the top of it and rip <laughs> the guts out. You rip the guts out. <laughs> And then hang it as a trophy on a tree. The pumpkin yeah. turns around and faces you, and it, it cuts an X into its own chest. <laughs> it's like, face me! <laughs> um, also, also, speaking of the right tools for the job, uh-huh. I've been accumulating boxes in my garage. Mm. Just mountains and mountains of boxes. So our, our studio is in Seth's basement, which means that we studio members take out the trash routinely. But, but that's, the, that's it. They just take it out. Into the garage. Yeah. So when, when we get a new there. box, so if, if we get like a new monitor or something like that, uh, you know, everyone, you'll break, you'll take the monitor out and then you're just like, oh, I'll just take this upstairs. For whatever reason, the, I think there's, we never there's settled, no connection. We never settled on the process of disposing of box trash. So there isn't one. I literally so haven't <laughs> thought about it. I was just like, I'll put this box upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. So where all the other boxes where all the other boxes are. So boxes <laughs> have this, well, it has this problem where they're full of styrofoam, mm-hmm. which you can't recycle. Right. You got to you got to throw that uh, and you want to recycle the cardboard. So you need to you need to go through this elaborate process of like getting all the trash out. Mm-hmm. Styrofoam is big. You got to break that down, put that into a trash bag. Then you got to take the box and figure out, like, how do I get this, mm-hmm. this giant fucking thing into my recycling? Well, you got to cut it up. You got to break mm-hmm. it down. Right. So my Saturday afternoon was I ordered a box cutter last week and got it on Friday and I just, I just spent all Saturday afternoon just, it was like a lightsaber Wait, is battle. This like, is this a year and a half of boxes that you accumulated? No, upstairs? no. I, Cause I cleared out, I cleared up the garage completely by like May. So I was able to park in there and stuff. It was great. And then <laughs> just, no, just boxes. And then we got, and then we got some new equipment and stuff and then it just, it just piled right up again. And so, uh, but man, that box cutter, it's just like a pumpkin thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean. I just I just gently sort of wave it toward a box and the box just <laughs> explodes apart. into little strips. So so 
it's always good to have the right right tool mm-hmm. for the job. It's wonderful. And sharp tools. Speaking yeah. of tools, I did finish my uh, warehousing, which we talked about in the last two podcasts, I think, mm-hmm. briefly. It is now so renamed, though. It is renamed with an H because I kept telling people it was called Warehouse. It's an yeah, organizational like, beast, which I thought was amazing. Well, and also, if you read it, it's like Warehouse. Yeah. So anyways. <laughs> it's all very there's confusing. A, there's a damn H in it now. Uh, it's also a D at the end. Well, that's if you have done it. Oh, I see. It's a verb, you know. So sure, I yeah. warehouse. But a Z at the end. Now it's a zombie game. Mm-hmm. Yep. I warehoused one this weekend. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I finished all that stuff, which is super fun. And everything's just packed away. And I now know everything that I have in my basement, which feels really good. And we were going through stuff. And I realized I got coloring books. I got markers. I, got like, <laughs> I have a whole craft kit. I could. If well, we're, I've got no safety one day, scissors. I do. Got, if one day we were like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, we need uh, we need some construction paper. We're gonna make some like cute cards for some reason." Like, we don't need to buy any. I got some. I in got my, some in my warehouse, and I can always just check. And yeah. it's amazing. So, yeah. anyways, it's pretty good. good. Congratulations. Thank you. Speaking of tools and building things, mm. Andy had a had a productive week last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he finished building the Shenana feed. What's the Shenana feed? Shenana feed is our in-house sort of. Microblogging tool, yeah, they call it microblogging, like a professional journal. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we do a thing in the studio where we realize so we have, we have a studio philosophy called always know why, where you're supposed to anytime you finish a day of work or a project or whatever, you have, you post mortem it. You know, you got to reflect back on what you were doing and try to think like, how did that go? How can, how can I it do be better? How can I do it better? All that stuff. And so, and we realized that you know. We could just sort of lightly suggest that everybody do this, but we, but it not won't necessarily happen uh, unless we have a, a good system to encourage everybody to do it, and also so that other people can learn from what everybody else is doing, right? So, uh, so Andy put together a thing that we called the Shenana feed quite a while ago, where it's like an in-house microblogging thing, where at the end of each day, everybody goes in and writes up, you know, up about what they got mm-hmm. done. That takes day. like fifteen minutes or so, so you just kind of. You compile all the stuff you did and then sort of your both why to someone who doesn't have the context of why it would be important, why this is important. And then if you learned anything, you're going to be rolling forward. Yes. So, mm-hmm. And then everybody can see everybody else's stuff and you can comment, tag people, that sort of thing. Yep. And so so the first sort of prototype of it uh, got the job done and mm-hmm. everything. But then uh, Andy's been working on front end web development. And so there's all these extra features that, that we wanted to get in there. Um, and so he got it wrapped up last week and it's. It's quite shiny. It's nice. Yeah. It's pretty good. So, so congrats to Andy. I don't want a big project done. Yeah. And speaking of other projects, we also realized that we have a problem. Huge which problem. Is, which is launching games is boring. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me describe yep. this for you. So you, you worked on a thing for two years. You put, your, you put your heart, your soul, your blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's walking around with tears. all of your guts. Yeah. Yep. It's you disgusting. Yeah. And you need to launch it, right? Right. The problem yep. is that launching a video game... The only thing you do is you click. You click publish. Okay. So. And then nothing happens. Like what, what other event in your life requires so much work to do and then ends. With nothing. With such a, just a shitty sort of version of what Although, that could be in terms of. A, I mean, the, the stores could assist a bit, you know, because they, they, they could put some fireworks. Put some yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like, it's like Facebook now, if you just say the word congratulations, it like throws fucking confetti on the screen. Right. That's amazing. Uh, that is pretty good. Like why, you know, why, why, why do, why Apple... do we settle for juice free lives? Yeah. You know, I don't know. so, so we're going to, so we took this problem into our own hands. Well, rather we were complaining about it. Yeah. And, and Andy, Andy was and, like, <laughs> excuse me, you have a complaint because I can solve this problem. Yeah. And we said, what we need is a lever. We need a giant fucking lever <laughs> that what we do is we'll, we'll open up whatever the store is. We'll open up their developer backend. We will position the mouse onto the publish button <laughs> Then we'll go over to the lever and just just crank crank it. that thing, and then it'll just send a click <laughs> to the computer. Uh, we'll need to probably sync it up so that maybe there's some kind of like extra like music that plays, mm-hmm. like maybe plays. Oh, the- could do the bois. Ooh, the inception yeah. sound, or maybe bois. like maybe that followed by the final countdown. Yeah, you know, something like that. Actually, no. I think when you go over to it, the final countdown should start. So there's a motion sensor, <laughs> and then it starts when you get over there, mm-hmm. and then it blows at the yeah. end. And maybe yeah. we put like a little one of those little CO2 canisters inside the lever, and then uh-huh. stuff it with confetti, so that yeah. when you pull it, the end <laughs> pops off, and, and it, it shoots. also does that thing that goes beer, 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 beer. It's my favorite noise. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. So the fact is like. We need this lever. Now, that would be a moment. You know? that, then would we could be all, moment. We could all have some 
booze out. So we all have mm-hmm. a beer that we all clink it at the same time too, like while this is all happening. But I mean, like, mm-hmm. so this is the kind of this is the kind of thing that should happen at a launch party. Yeah, is like the launch happens right when the lever is pulled and confetti shoots out mm-hmm. and you hear that weird air horn sound. And then everybody who's involved should go away so that the dev team can put out fires that happen immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Having a, you should, oh yeah, this is a good word of advice for devs out there. Don't have a launch party after the launch. No. (laughs) Cause you're dead. You're You're going to want to wait at least a month or do it like two weeks before. Yeah. Because it's a preemptive. Things are kind of dead in that window, Mm -hmm. you know, and you 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 don't know what the future looks like. So it's all very exciting. And it's like, what's going to happen? Yeah. But, but I think I think also importantly, so I was reading. There's a book called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Which have we talked about it yet? Maybe it's a great book. <laughs> highly recommend. Um, it it follows ten different games or ten different studios developing ten different games, um, ranging from like Stardew Valley all the way up to Destiny, and mm-hmm. talking about all the trials and tribulations. Um, and I was laughing because uh, in one of the chapters, I'm not going to like specifically point out, but in one of the chapters, there you know, the studio is having a lot of financial hardships, um, having to lay people off and all this stuff. And they finally hit some some level of success. And the next line was was something like the CEO addressed addressed the the workers at their lavish launch party. And I was like. God damn it! You know, <laughs> come on. But like, the you money, just got that money. <laughs> put it in the right spot, please. So, if you're gonna have a launch party, do it before the launch and do it cheaply. And don't, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to have a lavish launch it's party. About Invest your money in a giant lever. It's kind of like it's kind of like having a having <laughs> a thirty thousand dollar wedding and then not having any money to to, to put a down payment on a house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same mm-hmm. kind of a you gotta you gotta think about those mm-hmm. priorities. Mm-hmm. So. Anyways, um, so we have a couple other uh, couple other things to talk about. One is I have a of a traffic story. Oh God, this is not the kind of traffic story that you will be expecting. All right. Um, all right so I live tantalize. <laughs> tell me. I live in a very quiet area. Um, I often go out like for walks and stuff, and many times I will never see a car passing by. Right. It's just it's very quiet here, uh, and so we talked about regression toward the mean. Couple, mm-hmm. Was it last episode or a couple, a couple episodes, episodes ago? ago. Mm-hmm. And how sometimes randomness happens and creates very creates cluster, very unusual situations. So, <laughs> so I'm walking my dog, and we're walking. I got the leash on and everything, and she's like, all of a sudden, she's like, "I got to do my business," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "All right, you know, no problem." <laughs> and for any of you who have walked a dog. You know that, like, once they start the business, they become a, a statue. <laughs> they cannot be moved. They cannot be stopped until the job is done. Uh-huh. Right? So, so she just decided, I got to do this in the middle of the road, like <laughs> oh, right God. in the middle. <laughs> so she like she ran over there, stretched the leash tight and then just started going. Oh, God. And I'm like, no problem. Got a bag. No big deal. Like, I got a bag. There's no traffic. There's mm-hmm. no cars. It's a quiet neighborhood, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, I hear a car, and this SUV comes up, and he just, like, stops. <laughs> he's, just, he's just looking at me, and I'm like, oh, oh fuck. And then, and then another car comes from the other direction and pulls up, and they're both just sitting there just watching. And this is, like, this is like the longest shit I've ever seen my dog take. <laughs> and I'm sitting there trapped between these two cars. Then a fucking third car comes oh up God. behind the SUV and they're kind of like, they kind of like squeeze out to the side and I can see them like peeking out and like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and I'm just sitting here. <laughs> your dog shit in the middle of the yeah. road. And then I'm like, well, I got to pick it up now because I don't want to have these people like over drive it. over, you know? So I'm like, they fuck. Got so now I'm like, I got to get out the bag and then she's just like running around on the end of this leash, you know? And I'm like <laughs> picking this thing up and I'm just like waving at everybody. I'm so, so, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so I created a literal traffic jam <laughs> because of this. But this is like, this never happened. I never seen three cars at the same oh, time. Was, on the How street. often does Coco just shit in the middle of the road? Uh, not not very. <laughs> never. Okay. It's a pretty rare occurrence as Especially well. Especially a right? long one. Yeah. Apparently, there's also you it had was a, like two minutes. You had a like, stacking probability situation. Yeah. So that's, so that's just one of those. Hey, sometimes life just. Uh, Shit's life in the middle of the road. Life you know? finds a way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that happened. That's good. Uh, That's a good traffic story. I dig it. All right. But then before we get to some questions, there's one other thing that I want to talk about, which is I want to talk about PUBG. Well, everyone else is doing it. Why don't yeah. we hop on the fucking bandwagon? <laughs> well, that's Good exactly Lord. it. That's exactly it. So I had, a, I had an interesting uh, conversation with Sure this morning about PUBG. So he's he is re- very in tune with the the Chinese gaming community. 
uh, or the Chinese gaming industry, I should say. Back up and say PUBG is Player Unknown Battlegrounds. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is a battle royale game that came out a couple months ago. It's been crushing it in the charts. It's like the top played game currently, just ever, ever. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, if you go to Twitch. It's like PUBG is like 200,000 people watching it. And then next is League of Legends with like nine people now because they're all playing PUBG. <laughs> um, and so so this this game and actually I, I left my Eve Corp uh, this weekend because they all stopped playing Eve because they're all playing PUBG wow. now. And they've been well, playing you like actually left the corp yeah. completely. They've been playing Shit. it for four months. And I, like every time I log in, it's, I'm just by myself and I'm like, Whoa. sorry, guys, I buy like i gotta go find somebody else to play with now um so this game is just like it's just like sucking the oxygen out of the room you know yeah, i heard that every- it actually took away some like 50 percent of csgo's players and yeah yeah so, yeah so those i mean players gotta come from somewhere yeah well, exactly like these yeah these these players didn't manifest from the ether you got a big yeah. enough game that it's like a it's like a bonfire it's just like sucking the oxygen out of the yeah. whole it's ecosystem. happening that's crazy so, so i was thinking about that could this. actually implode other because Com- a lot of those companies are dependent on Monthly the expectation revenue. that they that their decay rate won't be that strong or that they have some growth mm-hmm. over time or whatever. But if some other game comes in and just literally takes all your players. I'm glad I could say that we have basically nothing in common in the games we make with PUBG. Yeah. So hopefully and we our markets are safe. But, I mean, but I mean, relatively think about, so low, we don't have a lot to lose. Correct. You know, but I mean, Eve and yeah. PUBG are so far apart. That's true. Yeah. I mean, and like what else? League of Legends? Like you got this yeah, fan, they're not, they're fantasy three v three, but they're multiplayer communal, communal games. You know, I mean, they actually are very similar well, they, to the yeah, underground they, DNA. They have, they have that, but um, but yeah. So so I I tried to, and I think we talked about this a while back, like around when PUBG was first kind of mm-hmm. you know starting a bonfire. Um, I tried to play it, and I just di- I just didn't really have that good of a time. So I'm thinking back to process, and I was like, why though? Because everybody seems to be having a really good time playing mm-hmm. this game, and. Uh, I think it's actually because I played it with friends, which seems counterintuitive. So hear me out. Okay, what do you mean? So I love gaming with these folks. They're hilarious. Um, and I was laughing the whole time. And like, we were having a good time, but I didn't have a good time with the game. Right. Um, and it was actually because I think in retrospect, I was playing with people who had already been playing the game for two months. So it was the three of them. And Skill then gap. Yeah. And so we actually won when we played, but I felt nothing. Right. So I get the one of the things that makes PUBG exciting is it starts as 100, 100 people and then it whittles down until like everybody just shoots each other, basically, until eventually there's just one team or one person left. And it's like a last last group or last person standing kind of a game. And uh, so as as it gets as years as you stay alive longer and longer and the mat, the sort of arena constricts smaller and smaller that sort of feeling of like, oh shit, like this is it, you know, it's just coming down to me. Like that, that sort of tension feeling is the, is one of the big uh, drivers of why people love this game. But when I was playing, I didn't, I didn't feel that at all because uh, I didn't know enough about the game. Like I shouldn't have been there. Like I shouldn't right. have been in that final round because right. I suck. I like anytime somebody shot at me, I had no idea where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only contribution I had to the match was that I accidentally ran over one of my own teammates with a car. Yeah, like that so was my, that was my thing that I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we talk a lot about how games exist to allow people to feel pride. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wasn't able to do that because I like, by the time we got to the end, I knew that I had only been a liability. Like I could not take any kind of ownership sure. over this win. Right. Um, and my teammates who had been playing for months, they just, they just carried me straight through the mm-hmm. whole thing. It and doesn't so, feel good to be carried. You feel like a baby, you know? Yeah. Babies get carried. That's right. You know? <laughs> and so, but so I was thinking yeah. about like all the other times where like, if I wanted to play rocket league with somebody, if I want to, mm-hmm. you know, if I say, Hey, I'll teach you how to play Eve or like, Hey, come play. Wow. Or like basically games that I've been playing for a long time. Um, anytime I play with somebody, it never, it never lasts. Right. Like they mm-hmm. won't, they won't come back and keep playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's large. I think it's largely because when you jump into a multiplayer game like this, you have to take the sort of, you have to take the initiative to learn it yourself and you can't depend on other people to teach it to you necessarily. Um, because if you're jumping in with people who have already been playing, then they got shit to do. Mm-hmm. Like they want to go, they want to go play the matches and win. Right. And like, they want to go progress do and do, like do all the important game stuff. And you're going to like, you're going to make their experience worse because now you're just sort of bogging them down and they're dragging you through. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, that was kind of interesting. So I'm trying to decide whether I should take another crack. It sounds like we should take a crack at it because we all, we all as a bunch of sucky idiots. Yeah. yeah. 
So, There's a benefit to really being really bad at stuff, which yeah. is that you can be with other people who are really bad at it and super enjoy yeah. yourself. Yeah, there, well, there are always lots of people who are bad at stuff. True. So it's, it's a good population to be mm-hmm. in, you know? Yeah. Which also kind of, it kind of begs the question of games that have been around for a long time are going to suffer from this problem more and more. Mm-hmm. Right? So think about like... Well, that, that, to me, that's how CSGO and TF2 feel. Because there was Overwatch. And the, first, Overwatch. the first couple of weeks yep. of Overwatch was hilarious because everyone's just like, oh, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, and I had a blast. And then like, now if you hop in and you do something wrong, everyone's everybody's like... Everybody's so fucking serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're playing it wrong. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Of yep. course I'm playing it wrong. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of weird because I think about like as games first get off, like as they first start taking off, they establish these communities. Mm-hmm. Um but then those games, they typically change a lot over time, like because they're they're online multiplayer games. They have patches and patches and patches. And as soon as you step away for like a six month period or something like that and come back into the game, uh, it often feels like the game has left you behind. Yeah, this right? going to be with League of Legends. Yeah, which are still popping in play, but they luckily they added this thing which is basically like recommended items to buy. So I literally I don't have to think about it anymore because I'm just like I'll follow their recipe for whatever this character is that I'm playing because there's all this new stuff I don't even understand what's happening most of the time. I just like new characters pop up. I'm just like, what does that one do? And they just briefly tell me, and I'm like, all right, I'll do whatever I used to do all the time anyway. It's <laughs> like let's just go. Yeah. So it is it is weird how in a multiplayer context that does happen. But I think that's that is what people want to a degree. Like you want. You want a community, you want a place where you can belong. And then I think interestingly, I, I would, I would kind of, I think disagree with the, with the carrying notion that it's like, that it always drags people down because, uh, I mean, we've had this before, like you get, you get a lot of personal gain and personal benefit out of just like helping someone do a thing. Like it feels yeah. good. It's just like a natural human thing. Yeah. So I think there's a benefit to that, but, but definitely when you, there's a, there's a point where your kind of your patience goes away. I well, guess. it, it kind of depends. So, so I think. Like if, like if I, if I, so I've got a couple hundred hours into rocket league, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say I had like a couple thousand hours and, and my, one of my big goals in rocket league was like getting a, you know, platinum, whatever the fuck is their top, mm-hmm. <laughs> their top tier. They change it every season. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, so I want to get platinum turbo rocket metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my thing. So if, if you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to learn how to play rocket league. Yeah, you don't have time for me anymore. You're pro. Yeah. Cause the fact is like. Every, every time that I, that I have every moment that I have to play rocket league, I want to be working toward that goal. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I'm actually like sacrificing my progress toward that in order to teach you. And I don't even know if you're going to keep playing or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Although I think this is particularly interesting because this also perfectly describes why we have stopped teaching people about game dev mm. and basically anything. It's yeah. the exact reason because the skill gap grows over time because we're doing this full time. A hundred percent of our time is now this. Every moment we're not doing it is a big cost. Is a big cost, yeah. uh, and and that gap is getting wider and wider between the people who you know want to be doing the same stuff and and where we are. Which means now that just the size of that is getting bigger and bigger, and the relative cost is getting higher and higher. And then again, we don't actually know if people are going to give a shit in the end. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it kind of depends on the approach. So like, so we started yeah. making these YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah. Um, primarily because that's now something where we can just do it once, you know, teach that concept mm-hmm. and then put it out there. And then, you know, as with all things, a very small proportion of people are actually going to engage, like are actually yeah. going to care and are actually going to mm-hmm. put in the time to get something out of it. Problem is you have no idea who Which those ones? people are going to be. Yeah. And so you could go, you go teach a class, like you can go teach a class of, you know, 20 or 30 people and maybe one of them will actually like really take the stuff that you're talking about and run with it and, and try to like use it and go all in mm-hmm. on it. But also maybe not, maybe none yeah. of them will. Right. And you just spent your entire like semester or whatever. Um, just burning your time, just burning your time. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, I mean, it's, it's part of the advantage of having the internet is yeah. you can now, you can now broadcast those mm-hmm. lessons out there, do them once and then just whoever pick it for themselves. Yeah. Whoever yeah. can use them can use them. So, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting that that's, it's the same problem actually as, mm. as with this. Well, it's yeah. The, the better, the better you get at a thing, the higher your goals go. Yeah. And the higher and the opportunity cost of you not doing, of you that, not thing doing that thing. Right. Yeah. And the larger the gap between you and somebody who you may want to teach even, or who wants to learn anyway. I think this is the thing. And so the people, harder it is to, to actually pass your skill down because the gap is. Because it's harder for larger. you to, un, to remember what they do or do right. not know. Well, we had this question yeah. come up, uh, I think it was like, Probably like 50 episodes ago. It was a question of uh, finding mentors. Yeah. And there's just there's just one thing you got to do, which is you just have to demonstrate that you really give a shit and yeah. that you will do the things that have been suggested that you do. Um, if you do those things, then because the thing is, I think the, the part that people don't realize is that if I'm like if I'm looking at someone who's who's asked for help in some regard, 
if it's the case that they they come with sort of like they say, hey, you know, I I've, I follow this, this and this. And uh, here's sort of a thing that I'm having trouble with. Would you mind giving me some feedback on this project? Whatever else. Uh, if I do elect to give feedback on it and then like three months later, I get a note from them. That's the same thing where they clearly did not take the feedback, whatever else. Then I'm done because the truth is like I'm investing time. You're, yeah, you're as a spending time that right. you could have been doing exactly working on. And your I think own a lot stuff. of people don't understand that that's that's the reality of that give and take, which is mentors aren't just giving you time; right. they're sacrificing right. their time. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't just have they don't just have a shit of free time lying around. They're busy. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so you've got to always demonstrate that you that you are you're paying attention and using the the words that are given to you from the person or or the time. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, let's get on to some questions. Okay. Uh, these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. So if you would like to get your questions on the podcast in the future, head on over there, slap them in the text box, and don't forget to click the submit button mm-hmm. or else they would just won't, we won't get them. Absolutely. So it's a common, how the internet works. It's a common problem. No, we could, we could probably just ask the NSA for all the, you know, the keys, the keystrokes, the keystrokes, and we true. could probably re- put it back together. We could, mm-hmm. yeah. That seems like a lot of work though. Yeah, um, but it's not. probably worth it. We're, there's probably a lot of really good questions that have just been lost to the NSA. To the NSA, yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah. All right. So first question comes from Rampandapus. How important is it for games to have progression systems such as leveling up, upgrading equipment, gaining new abilities, etc.? Could reliance on progression systems be a game design crutch? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, what's a crutch? Well, it's also a good question. A crutch is the thing that props up something. Sometimes things got to be propped up. Sometimes though. it's a thing that's kind of limpy in the case of usual usage of a crutch. Mm. You got to think it's kind of broken. When you put crutch on it, seems like it's moving around just fine. But Last sometimes you <laughs> got sometimes you got crutches for legs and that's just how you get around. Well, because I, I guess what I'm curious yeah. about is what what makes something a game design crutch versus something that's just uh, just a part of I guess game design. To me, that it would be a thing that you use just because it's a thing you can use and not because you've thought about it. Which is which so, can be true of all which things. can be true of anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked in the past about inventory mm-hmm. systems and mechanisms and, and uh, durability mechanics and other other kinds of things that people just fucking throw into games without actually asking mm-hmm. what does this do and what is this for. Well, there's also an interesting thing that happens in games in particular when you strap a progression system of some sort, any sort. So even even for example, we say say we have a a big open world map and we have like a hundred cool locations in it for you to go run around and discover. There's a difference in gameplay and feel if we just leave that open and let you go find them. Welcome to the game. Here's a hundred places. If we say, here's your hundred places to go <laughs> Pick find. One. Or even just say, here's your hundred places, like go to each one. Like that's now your thing, right? right? Uh, or you go to these 10 first and then you're allowed to go to these 10, blah, blah. And so I think the, the interesting thing that people sometimes don't realize is that you, you, can, you can accidentally sort of rip out some of the intrinsic drive of a, of a player or of a player base to do something that is actually really fun, worthwhile for them by putting one of these power systems on there. Um, and I think the easiest example of, a, of games games that use power systems without an actual sort of base of interesting gameplay is clickers. It's not interesting to click on things. It's only a, it's only a power system, system right? So, yep. so there's that. And then on the other hand, you have games that are only gameplay-based, like chess, right? So there's no progression except Rocket for League. your own brain. Yeah, yeah, Rocket League, that sort of thing. And, and then you have the sort of fine gradient between, but I think just if you choose, you just got to think about if the, if the progression system that you're strapping onto a system is going to, uh, potentially rip out some of the intrinsic motivation of your player base for doing that thing, because it can be the case that you can ruin an otherwise really interesting, uh, sort of fun experience that players can share within themselves by putting a system on it. And sometimes it's better not to have one. This is, this can happen with tribes ascend. Mm-hmm. It, it, it Absolutely. came. It came from the tribes franchise, which was these crazy first-person shooters with jetpacks, and you could like ski down hills at a hundred miles per hour, and it was the fastest shooter in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Tribes Ascend, they they also layered in XP. So every time you win or lose a match, you get a little bit of XP, and then you use that to sort of like upgrade your weapons, upgrade your weapons. New, yeah. What are they called? What are the new characters called? Characters. Classes. 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 Yeah. yeah. So you can be like the fast guy who captures the flag or like mm-hmm. the heavy, the heavy person who's got mortars and cannons and stuff. Um, and it kind of, it just didn't make sense in that context. Uh, because when you're, when you're playing a game like this, where you see somebody who's say like one of the stealthy guys or whatever, you want to be able to know what they're doing so mm-hmm. that you can. Yeah. It's a, it's a skill based game. Yeah. So this is why. So like in, in, uh, 
well, Team Fortress, I don't know how it is now, but how it used to That's be. Or, or, I guess, or, I guess, or I guess Overwatch now, or whatever, yeah. where, um, where you've got predefined classes, which means you can learn about that class. You can anticipate what it's going to do. And so when you see somebody coming at you with that uh, character, then you can plan what you're going to be doing, right? But if you have a leveling up system, as well as all this swappable uh, equipment and stuff like that, like, oh, yeah, you level up one gun, turns out you don't like it, you get a new gun, level that one up, right? Mm-hmm. Which means not only can you not predict what they're going to do, you also can't even predict how effective that's going to be, right? Mm-hmm. right? So, like, if somebody could shoot you with a lower level gun, and it's fine. And if they shoot you with that same gun, but they've upgraded it, then now all of a sudden you get your ass kicked, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... We actually, we actually were playing around with this in Scuffle Buddies a little bit. Yeah. Which we can't talk about too much because we're keeping mm-hmm. things secret. But, we're, but we've been very choosy about where we're putting these power systems in yeah. play. Because we're, we're very cognizant of that ruin that can happen if we put them in the wrong place. Yeah, well, it, well you can easily strip away predictability of mm-hmm. various aspects of gameplay if the, if the numbers just fly all over the place. Right. right? Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's tricky. It's tricky. I, I wouldn't say it's a crutch though. I think it's it's just a it's, it's a really, it's a really powerful tool that you have as a game developer and it certainly can be a crutch. But in the same way that like a lot of extra juice and stuff you could say is a crutch if the game. Or like graphics. Or graphics are a crutch. That's a crutch. Right, right. Because <laughs> there are text based games that are super fun. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know. So uh I think it just depends. Depends on how you use it. A crutch is a tool. Yeah. Uh all right, next question yeah. comes from Woland seventy seven. In these days of digital distribution, how do you decide when you're ready to launch a game? Do you set a launch launch date uh, before it's done? What if it's not ready? What if it's ready early? What if, what if? How does it work? Mm, okay, yeah. I think there's not, there's probably actually not many articles on how to think of the timeline for this. Because I remember whenever, when we first started trying to launch stuff, I looked around for them and I could not find what was your, what's like the range? When are we supposed to say that this is happening? What's a good idea? Um we used to be in the camp that that I think a lot of game developers fall into, whereas, which is they just arbitrarily set a launch date. Yeah. Which <laughs> is basically the the dumbest thing you can if do. If you go back and look at our Crashlands history, it was like summer 2015. Yeah. No, it was spring 2015. Then later it was summer 2015. Then we just blew right past that. You know, it would have been better if we just said, we'll launch it when it's done. Because yeah. the truth is, in that case, we didn't have a hard deadline yet because we still had enough of our tiny amount of money to be able to survive. So we were just going to keep working on it. So if if it's the case that you are, you know, working in a, a larger production setting where you have, for example, an investment or something like that, where you literally are running out of money, uh, then, yeah, you're going to need to figure out something to be able to say this is coming out on this date because otherwise this, the company won't exist. Um, but it really is, is the case that depending on where you're launching and – how big the project is, that sort of thing. There's a few sort of components to a really good launch in terms of timing. So the first is that you need about six weeks of prep for the stores. And we've talked before about how the stores are basically your most important partner when it comes to actually making sales and actually uh, having a really good launch. So you need to let them know, you got to get a person at least six weeks before what you think is probably going to be the launch. Yeah, and it kind of depends too, because there are some platforms where they require two, three months in advance Correct. so you need to know you need to talk to the people uh who are your reps or whatever mm-hmm. or even just ask around yes yeah, so in terms of speed the console is the slowest for sure that's a couple of months their lead up right and then you got uh basically like pc you want to give them a few bits of time but they don't necessarily care so much because a lot of it's especially on steam a lot of it's algorithmically based yeah and then on mobile it's at least six weeks right uh i think we've, we've done as as late as like two weeks which seemed to work okay but I don't think they were super pumped about it. Though. Yeah, you don't want to again. You don't want to make their lives hard by being like, "Hey, we have this great game that we just told you about right now, and we're going to completely mess up your docket for mm-hmm. the next two weeks." Yeah. Um. So there's that, and then when it comes to beta stuff, so we started actually doing betas with Crashlands, which is very smart. So we take about four weeks for that, and then once the beta is concluded and we get everything fixed, then we then know. we set a launch date because you don't know the beta tells you how much work is left. Yeah, you don't know how many problems you're going to have until the betas. Right. Well underway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's, that's a good general rule. And as far as like following up with press and that sort of thing on, on I think both PC and mobile, giving about two weeks of, of sort of head start on when the game is coming out. So once you've established what your launch date is, you give them about two weeks, you send them the keys, send them all the press info, uh, and then follow up every couple of days until you're getting up to the launch window. And if you haven't heard anything back, then you send them a note like every day, three days before launch. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's basically, this, you see this? In yeah. short. 
give yourself plenty of time. I think the yeah. the idea because that, that kind of ended that question was interesting, which is what if you're what if you're done earlier than your launch date? That, uh, you're not. Yeah, there's yeah. there's no <laughs> end to the work. There's actually. no end to the work. I've they, never heard a, I've never heard a game developer go, "Hey, my game's done." Yeah, but yeah. Not, <laughs> but even if it was, even if it was, that just means now you have more time to to Market. do better marketing and preparation for your launch. Uh, and I think it's actually important because this is a discussion that we had a lot back when we launched Crashlands. We just had to get it out because we had no money left, mm-hmm. uh, and so and we had set a date. So there, there was no there was no wiggle room. We just had to put the thing out right. Um, but now that we actually have a runway, uh, we could actually complete a game and then not launch it for some period of time. Um, and that's actually how we talk about it now because the idea is that once we once the game is complete, that's when we know we what can set is. a date right. and we know what it is. We we have all the things that we would need to market it properly. And unless we're out of money, that means, well, now we have, we still have runway left that we can use to turn the entire studio's engine over to uh, marketing the ever living fuck out of that thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So that it then has the best chance possible at a successful launch. And even if we don't need to do that, the the people who are responsible for marketing, so Sam and then probably Monique at that point, um, they'll be able to do that full time while the rest of the crew is working on other stuff, building some other or tech, polishing helping things, the launch, up, polishing right. things, you know. Uh, and interacting with the community or even getting started on prototypes for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't, you know, if, if you're running a studio, then you don't need to be completely coupled to the products that you're making mm-hmm. if you have a runway. So that's the big if, because most, that's the huge most places, as we've learned from reading Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, have everyone's just riding that line yeah. up to bankruptcy. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you, yeah, if you really are just taking every possible moment, then yeah, then that, that's exactly what it is. But I think the, the ideal world is the one that we're trying to create for ourselves here, which is that we we get games out without actually being at the end of our, or get, the, get games done without being at the end of our right. runway. So that we have plenty of time to recover, to, to recover and figure out how to launch that thing. And then- and then also recover from the launch of that thing. Um, if it's bad or good. If it's bad or good. Uh, yeah, so, so that the so that launching games becomes part of what we do as a company uh, and not not the one thing that is, that the company does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So also, there's one extra component, which is, I see this a lot in various game, game dev communities. <clears throat> People talking about how you should not launch in like November, December, October, because that's when like a bunch of AAA games are coming out and you can't compete with them. So what do we think about this? Well, I would, I would avoid launching during the store takeover sales. Oh, so shit, for example, yeah. the summer sale and the winter sale. And I think there's a fall sale now too. Or yeah, something. It's yeah. Not you're, about, you're guaranteed no featuring if you, if you launch. Yeah, and that's just cause the, that's just cause the page, the front page is just, yeah. it's just all fucked up. So uh, don't launch during those. And also everything is on sale. So instead yeah. of, if you're not launching also on sale, then you actually are in competition with literally the entire market. Yeah. Correct. And you need to be very aware of not not specific games launching um, because they're going to get like a feature spot and there's still other feature spots, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be more aware of these sort of power players, specifically like Disney, for example. Uh, this is something that we anticipated, thankfully, correctly, we were good. We were thinking about launching Crashlands before, right before Christmas, December eighteenth. Yeah, in December twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. we looked at the calendar. And we were like, Star Wars, the new, the new Star Wars movies mm. coming out. There hasn't been a Star mm. Wars movie in a long time. I wonder if there's going to be games. Companion I wonder. Games yeah, I wonder apps. if they're going to launch games, and I wonder, or even if not, I wonder if they're going to cut some deal with and highlight all the old games. Or yeah, or, or like, or do something where there's mm. going to be a huge store takeover of Star Wars. Sure enough. Uh, so, we, so we just said it's not worth the risk. We'll postpone. And it just turned out that we had to postpone for over a month just mm-hmm. because of the stores shutting down over Christmas and all this other stuff. Um, so we postponed it. And thankfully we did, because if we had tried to launch Crashlands that week, oh, yeah. it, it, game over for this literally no, it mm-hmm. would have been zero. Right. Yeah. Um, and the same thing is like Super Mario Run. Yeah. It took over all of the app stores. It, they gave it every feature spot. Right. And so. So it's not necessarily about like competing with a game. It's more about competing for feature spots and trying to figure out um, what's the probability that the store is basically going to be shut down or completely focused on this game mm-hmm. or on this event. So you want to basically just look for look for really, really quiet weeks mm-hmm. where there's no big movies. Like I can guarantee you when the Avengers Infinity War comes out, don't launch a game that month, <laughs> right? Like, because that's going to be a store everything's going to be Avengers. Yeah. Um, yeah, but as far as actual competition, 
you know, I mean, you got to eat some humble pie. You're not competing with AAA studios. Nobody's going to look at yeah. your game and then like Call of Duty 39 or whatever and be like, mm, I was going to buy. I was going to buy my 39th copy of Call of Duty, yeah. but not this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're actually, the nice thing about being an indie <laughs> dev is actually you're, you're competing in a different market from the AAA studios. And we've done, Adam's done actual t- statistical analysis of this to ask the question of when to launch a game. We does, do have a blog, blog post. We have a blog, blog post, post about it. It's true. Um, it doesn't matter when you launch. It does not matter. Even if you launch during quote unquote like AAA season, which is, I think there's what April or something like that, which is right before the financial year turns over because everyone wants their, mm-hmm. their numbers propped up. And then November so that they can have all the sales and stuff from uh, Christmas. So holiday stuff. those are the two kind of big Hot spots. Apparently, supposedly January is the dead month, but that's when we launched. That's when we launched. It was great. So we were like, perfect. That means there's nothing going on. So people yep. can actually pay attention yes. to our game. Um, so <laughs> yeah, but we don't know. I mean, it is it is possible we would have done better had we launched. We can't A B test month. the universe. We can't, though. we just can't know. But all, all we can say is from looking at if you look at all the games that were on Steam, which is what I looked at a while ago, and look at their number of units owned by players as a function of the month in which they launched. There is little or no relationship between those things, um, and uh, and things are actually pretty well sampled. People are launching stuff kind of all the time. Um, that doesn't mean that actually that there definitely is not a relationship. It just means if there is one, it's weak. It's very it's either very weak or very specific, so that so that it doesn't it doesn't show up in the context of like you know month by month kind of things because maybe a certain week is really yeah. bad. You, you can't whatever. you can't statistically test for hey. When Super Mario Run launches, how yeah. well do other games right. do, right? Because that just that's happened, an anomalous one, it happened one time. Right. So you can't do Yeah, so our, our strategy is basically to ask, uh, what do we know? And, and I mean, Steam has like the upcoming games, mm-hmm. right? Um, and Yeah, you go look and see what's coming. You can coming. just go look and see what's coming. And then coming you Google out. and you say, uh, you just say, upcoming games of 2018. Yep, so look at Touch Arcade for yeah. for iOS. Look at, and we PC found a few. Gamers got a list. Rock Paper Gamer, got a right. list. So we found a bunch of listings of games that were coming out. We just And we just tried to find a week where it seemed like we weren't, that there weren't any other like big exciting things people mm-hmm. were really pumped about coming out. Uh, because that, that just meant that the chances of us getting, you know, the best feature spots were really good. Uh, Ooh, there's one other, there's one other huh. thing you can do. Mm. So on Steam, they have a coming soon list mm-hmm. and the games are listed in, in order of release on there. Right. Yep. And one of the things we did with, uh, with crash ends was we were looking at that list and where we were on it. And we realized every game surrounding us is brown. Oh yeah. All the right? icons were kind of desaturated. Yeah, yeah. All the icons are desaturated and gray. So and we, so we went and we ramped ours up. Yeah. yeah. So we, we buffed up the saturation <laughs> for ours and really highlighted like, and we, we picked the wallpaper that was like the yellow, like the Savannah, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we really buffed it up so that like, you'd see this coming soon list and it's like, eh, it's like crash lands is like right there <laughs> in bright yellow, you know? Well, I do want to talk about this timing thing though, because even with, uh, so we send out, this is actually an important note with the, the scuffle buddies announcement. Mm-hmm. Because there's this big question in email marketing of what is the best time to send people notes about stuff. And comically, talking about this idea of, you know, looking at the calendars, making sure you pick a day that necessarily there's not a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we launched Scuffle Buddies the week after PAX, which some would say is a terrible idea. Or you mean we announced it. Or we announced yeah. it, yeah. So uh, the, the week after PAX. And, and that's because I looked at the calendar and didn't even notice because we took it off our calendar mm-hmm. because we weren't going. Right. The PAX is <laughs> so, um, so... We decided to do this, and then uh, I sent out the emails basically a week in advance saying, hey, we have this thing. We're announcing it. Would you join us in announcing this thing? Um, a lot of people are at PAX. A lot of the news is about games that are on the floor there. Uh, and we ended up sending the first email set at like 7.30 p.m. on a Thursday, the night before PAX started, um, which, again, probably supposedly a terrible idea. But what I found from that one that sent at 7 p.m. versus the one I sent as a follow-up um, two people who definitely did not open that, that first one, uh, was that the opening rate was basically the same, even though the second one came at like noon or like a much, what you consider a much easier time to open your emails. Um, so there's this big, there's always a bunch of debates about what the best time is to do these things. And I think, well, the, the logic could go literally either direction because you, you can say, everybody thinks that you're not supposed to email these people during an event like PAX. Which means that nobody's emailing them. Mm-hmm. Which means if I send my email, I'm the only one, right? right? So I get that. I get all attention. So PAX is when they're trying to keep everything, keep their schedules really tight, understand like all the things they're supposed to be doing. They're so going to be checking their email a lot yeah. during PAX. Um, but that doesn't mean they're going to respond to you. Because if, if your email is not PAX related, they may open it. And then, and then, and then, and then delete like, it or snooze it. I got PAX shit to do and then yeah. forget about it. 
which, which is also, I mean, it's it's all completely. It's you more just, random. You can make up your own narrative. But I think the important thing is, is <laughs> well, again, it's it's much more random than you would like to think it is. Well, especially on the small scale. So yeah. if, if you're sending out, like in Sam's case, for the scuffle bunch it's of like things, fifty notes, yeah, it's like fifty emails, right? Uh, on that small of a scale, the, everybody is completely different. You don't you don't even get to say like, ooh, people people tend to open stuff only if it was sent like the evening before or mm-hmm. whatever. Because even if that is true, like the kind of the kind of size of that effect is that's a coming from like newsletters, which is a different kind of thing entirely uh, across hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Right. Like and even 1%, if that, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Even if that effect people. is real, it's probably not very big. Right. And when it comes to emailing, you know, your 50 PR people who are just literally entirely different people, right. That you can't make any claims about them as an average person. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, then all this stuff just goes away. Mm-hmm. And then, then it comes down to diligence, which is if they don't respond, email them again. Yep. Which is not a thing you do with newsletters because that's what you call spam. Yep. Yep. You know, so, so yeah, send, sending, an, kind of sending an email newsletter to like Sally from Montana, mm-hmm. who is not in video games PR or, or you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's better to send it at a time where she's mm-hmm. not at work or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the rules just go out the window for, for PR yeah. people. Yeah. So. so you should think about it. Have some narrative. Have have a reason that you do things, have a truth, you know, yeah, a personal truth, uh, and ideally try to you know try to test it a little bit mm-hmm. so you can see if it turns out that it makes sense or doesn't. Um, but just always know that whatever people are telling you, they can't fucking know. <laughs> they, Those things they don't, don't matter. Yeah. Also, I wanna I wanna make sure everybody recognizes. I'm not saying people from Montana can't be in video games PR. Talking about Sally, just talking specifically about Sally. Everyone knows Sally from Montana Sally, is not in video games PR. Yeah, she's an accountant. Mm-hmm. She's very good at her job. She's just not interested <laughs> in mm-hmm. in writing about video games. Yeah. You know, so but she wants to play them. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. So next question comes from Retro Banana Man NL. How do you time the things you are doing? In episode 110, you timed your prep time and how to batch it. Hmm. So we've talked about timing stuff, about mm-hmm. productivity. Um, there's there's a thing you can use called Toggle, T-O-G-G-L, uh, which is a fantastic time tracking application. Um, but I think, I think we need to kind of go a little bit, kind of backtrack on this question to kind of give it a little bit more context. So we talk a lot about batching, uh, batching your operations and why that matters. Mm-hmm. And I think last week um, we had a bigger conversation in the office about just how uh, how impactful it is to think about how long different things take. And uh, so last week, I on Tuesday, I had I had a day where I was like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys ever had this. We're like about two p.m. You're just kind of like, fuck, like mm-hmm. I'm I feel drained. Like I'm just not having the most productive day or, fe- or feeling very distractible or whatever. Um, but then on Wednesday I worked straight from 8 AM to 8 30 PM. And I felt like my brain was on fire like in, a I, good way. in a good way. Like I was right. so pumped that like I had a hard time sleeping because I got so much shit done. Mm-hmm. And the one thing different that I did on, on Wednesday was I spent the first 30 minutes of my day going through my task list and prioritizing things, breaking things down and turning everything I could into a pre-planned like five to 15 minute task. And then I just spent the entire day just going down the list. Just mm-hmm. one thing. After those after tasks. Yeah. Yeah. And which is what I did on Thursday. How did it feel? Felt really good. It works. Mm-hmm. And, and the re- I did it over the weekend. I got an ungodly amount of stuff done over this weekend. Yeah. And so, so we, like I, I gave a talk a while back called do what you want, mm-hmm. where I talked about the, the idea of pre-deciding what you're going to do and how for most people, like an exercise plan or a diet plan or whatever, like these things fail because people will, will say, I'm going to start exercising more the end. Like that's the end of their statement. Mm-hmm. And then on Monday they go, I'm going to exercise today. What am I going to do? And then they have to think through, like they have to make the decision where when to go, when to do it. Right. What are they going to not do? And then they have to also not, figure out. Actually, but it starts earlier than that because on Monday they say, should I, I need to exercise more right. again? Cause that's their goal, <laughs> right. right? That doesn't even mean that you should exercise today. Right. Just more, just more, which mm-hmm. is arbitrary enough that you could exercise just any time anyway. and you would have met that goal. Right? <laughs> um, and so, so you, you sort of, by not pre-planning it, you've now, sh- you've now recreate the burden of planning that every single day. Right. Which means you're just going to fall off of that wagon almost immediately. Let's talk about the math that you did. Yeah, because so, the whole point here is that you found that, that the difference between Tuesday and Wednesday was essentially that on Tuesday you were at the completion of any given task, you had to step back and say, okay, what am I doing now? What's next? What's next? 
blah, blah, blah. You actually had to switch into planning yep. and then switch back into doing stuff. Yeah. And so, so if you, it's like task switching, uh, people often talk about this in like in productivity, uh, you know, blogs and books and whatever, that task switching is one of the most expensive mental things that you can do because you need to drop, you sort of think about like you're juggling, right? Like you're juggling all these ideas in your brain to do a specific task and now to switch and do something completely different. You got to drop all that stuff, pick up like wrangle, like dig through your bin, pick up a new set of juggling balls, start juggling those and then drop those again to switch back to the other thing. And it can take on the order of, you know, five minutes to switch from one task to another, just to sort of get your mind into the right mode to start doing the new thing, which is also why the idea of multitasking is bullshit because mm-hmm. now you're just doing lots of things really, really badly. Um, and so if you think about planning as a task, then it becomes obvious that that planning each thing right before you do it becomes incredibly expensive because now you go do a thing, switch, plan, plan a thing, switch, switch do, do a thing, thing right? Yeah. Which means for every one thing you want to accomplish, you're actually doing four things. Mm-hmm. Plan, switch, or sorry, thing, switch, plan, switch, thing, switch, mm-hmm. right? So you, uh, but if you pre-plan everything, then you spend a half hour or whatever, go as, as detailed as you can and pre-decide all of the, the problems you're going to be facing. Then um, you just plan for 30 minutes and then you just go thing, switch, thing, switch, thing, mm-hmm. switch. And so the, the math came out was, I think it was like, I made some assumptions that like it takes three minutes to, to switch to a task, uh, 15 minutes per thing you do. You know, what does that look like? And it was like in an eight hour work day, if you pre-plan, you're going to do 51 things, 25 of which are going to be actual productive tasks and the remainder of which are switching. Mm-hmm. If you, if you plan stuff in between your tasks instead of upfront, you're going to end up doing like 70 something things, 18 of which are actually the things that you want to be doing. So, so you're you doing do more work. work things. You do way more work and yeah. you get a lot less done. Right. And this is what we're talking and about. And you're just fucking worn out by the end of the day. Right. Well, I think it's the interesting thing is like, I, I think when, when people talk about trying to, like trying to work on a thing that's important to them or trying to get more done in the day, I think people oftentimes are just like, you're just trying too hard. Like do less. You have to, well, you have to figure out how to make it such that, because it should be the case that, because I think that the biggest and most important takeaway from that is actually that at the end of the work day is that you still have a fuckload of energy. Yeah, whereas because you haven't had to constantly dig back and right, think Whereas if it. you're switching a bunch, you just feel dead, you know, and that's, that's no way because to Because switching between tasks, no way to live. switching no way to between live. things is not a rewarding activity. Mm-hmm. No. And there, it turns out to be most of what you do mm-hmm. when you approach things mm-hmm. that way. There's a, there's a subtlety here though, which is something I I had, I was over the weekend. I was thinking about it cause I was mm-hmm. trying to figure out what this was, uh, which is basically I kind of, I fell off of this bandwagon a long time ago because I used to, I was in workflow all the time. I had, I was always, you know, nailing out my tasks and stuff. Um, and a lot of that was because I had so many different kinds of things to do that otherwise I would fall into this trap that we're talking about. Uh, but once we brought in new people and I got to start dedicating my time to, you know, these big projects that are, that are what I'm working on, I treated those projects. So like building Bscotch ID, right? I treated those projects as the task. So build Bscotch ID is just like right. a checkbox. But even, I mean, <laughs> but then it would be, it would be smaller than that, right? Yeah. But, but still, but still Huge. not, but still not an actual task. Right. And so I would say, okay, well today I need to, you know, document, uh, like, like actually even like this week, one of my top, top general things to do is to document an API that I made. Right. Uh, so in the past I would just say, cool, that's the thing I'm working on. So in the morning I would get up and then I would just, just start documenting my API. API, Right. right. Uh, (laughs) but the problem there is that that's, that's that's, that's that's a lot of things. It's a lot of small tasks. And so it actually, even though I felt like I was doing one thing, what I was actually doing was exactly what we were talking about, which is switching between a lot of, sure, they were related tasks, but I kept mm-hmm. having, to, having to recompute, like, okay, what am I documenting next? How am I documenting? What, what have I done before? You know, there was nothing that was actually being tracked anywhere. And so I couldn't just go to the next thing because the mental model I had to build. You had to rebuild it. Had to be, well, it had to be rebuilt, but also it was very complex because I, I wasn't offloading any of my mental model mm. onto, a, onto a management system. And I think that's where, then to me, that's where it clicked. And, like, and that's where the value comes from is that when you are doing this, what you're doing is you're pre-building a mental model of, of the job you have to do today. Right. Yep. And then you're putting that into a system that now that holds your model. You get to just fucking forget. Now all of your mental energy goes into just getting the shit done and not constantly rebuilding the mental model. So, so you build it once and you cash it. Yep. 
then you can just go get to work and you just literally, you just, you just got to forget about that stuff. Well, I think it's part, it's part of the difference between the, the inherent searching cost in doing art versus doing programming. Because yeah. when I look back at a drawing, I'm not confused about where it's at. I just look you at look it and at like, like, yep, there it is. That looks like, like a leaf. That shadow, right? <laughs> it's halfway done. I can just see it, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's a much quicker uptake of whatever the mental model is because it's actually there. It's not a mental model. There's no hidden pieces yeah. of it. Well, actually, yeah, it, that, that's, it that's equivalent. elsewhere. Yeah, that, that is equivalent to the, the to-do list or the checklist mm-hmm. that then I have to create to put right. my API documentation together. Because, again, it's a thing that I've, I've offloaded to another system, so it's just not in my brain. And it might be that it never had to be in your brain in the first place because you're actually just working on that system, mm-hmm. right, um, in, in some particular kinds of cases. But if you, if you were an artist that actually went through things in particular kinds of phases where you were like, okay, so first I need to – build a silhouette and then I need to mm-hmm. add these components and I need to do some color palette work and then I need to put some shadows on and then I need to, so if, if that was actually how you did right. things then having that list would actually be enormously helpful because mm-hmm. uh, you basically not going to benefit from both of those things where on the one hand you're always like okay now I know what's next I know what I've done I feel like I can measure kind of the progress that I've made through this thing uh, but also you just get to look at the thing that you've made and right. it and it just speaks to you and tells you what's next mm-hmm. and also just as an experiment so I so I did this Last week, I did it on Wednesday, I did it on Thursday, easily some of my most productive work days I've had in months. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to flip this back this weekend. Cause I had a, a project that I'm working on, which, um, oh, should we, should I talk Not about yet. All right. We got, we got a, we got a fun, <laughs> we got a fun toy that we're working on. Um, and I was like, I'm going to get this thing done this weekend. And I thought just to see, just for contrast, now that I've got this figured out, uh, so I'm just, just going to fly into this thing blind <laughs> just go off the and, mm, okay. and just see, see what it's like to have literally no system at all. Not even a, like a to-do list and just be like, I know vaguely what I need to build. So you just sat, you did, you I, sat down to do work. I just and sat down and worked on it. And <laughs> holy fuck, it took me like three times longer than I thought it would. And I was so distractible. Like I had a hard time focusing on the thing and I was always trying to find something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think do. that's the main thing is that it took down my distractibility enormously. Yeah, because you, yeah, because it's really like those task switching moments where mm-hmm. you have to we have to replan the next step. They're exhausting. Those are, and you don't want to do yeah, it. You don't want to do it. And those are the opportunities for you to be like, eh, and then I'm gonna go, I'm gonna watch a right. stupid YouTube video or something. Let's do let's do a challenge for the podcast listeners mm. this week. The switchless challenge. Switchless. So, so try to uh, maybe take like 15, 20 minutes beginning your day. Plan out what you're doing. For Maybe the whole we should day. call it de switching. It's kind of like decaf coffee. Like you still got to have some in you there because you can't off get it, it all yeah. out. So switch ween. Switch. Switch. switch <laughs> we'll call it switch ween week. Switch ween. Switch ween. So, yeah. So the goal is every day you sit down, give yourself a half an hour. Okay. You don't need to get up early. Like this is work. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. This is this is you doing your shit. So you get up, you do your normal thing, except the, your first task of the day is to get all of your tasks pre-planned into like five to 15 minute chunks mm-hmm. of things that you need to do. You got to make sure that you have things in there that you can actually do. Like, yeah. like, uh, API documentation is not a thing you could do. No, it is not. So, but you can, you can like write out a particular section of the, that right. API mm-hmm. document, but you can't just do a 20 page <laughs> documentation. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Yeah. So plan that out. <laughs> and then, uh, we, again, we have, we have our new email address that you can reach us at, which is podcast at bscotch.net. Yes. Correct. Uh, so send us an email there if you do it, and maybe we'll share some stuff on the next show if anything good comes in there. Uh, and we'll see see what this actually works for you guys mm-hmm. and gals. It's amazing. There's also a question of how sustainable is it? Because mm-hmm. I think the reason that this is so hard is because for for whatever reason, there's an, there's an enormous amount of inertia preventing a person from sitting down and planning stuff. And I think it's because... Planning is super hard because that's you building the whole model of like the future, right? Uh, and so it, just like all the other tasks which we have to do throughout the day, is something you don't want to do and makes you distractible. At least that's been my experience while doing yeah. it. Uh, and so it's sort of like taking all of those switching moments. You collapse it. And you put it all in one place, which means it's like mega hard to do it. Mm-hmm. But that also means that's where all the value comes from. So but I think it's also it's not to say it's easy. It's a thing you just got to try to do. Right. But yeah. we don't, I think generally as a, as a culture and maybe just humans in general, we value cures much more than prevention, yeah. right? It's way sexier to come in during the bonfire and like throw water on it than it is to just stop the bonfire from happening by not being an idiot. In the first well, place. and it, so, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel active. Right. Like, like you want to, you want to get in there, sit down and just start, just start yeah. going. You so start, remember. You want to start quote working. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Planning is, is part of the work. 
And You're going to have to more do. valuable even than the work itself oftentimes. So a failure to plan is a plan to fail. That's right. End on that good quote. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all the time we have. So uh, we'd like to thank our studio wrangler, Monique, for putting this episode together. Our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. And the Scotch dev team, Andy, Tifa, and Sure for continuing to jam on stuff while we're in here podcasting. Special thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And, of course, we'd like to thank you all, our listeners, for coming back every week to listen. Uh, if you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, hop into our Discord server, which you can find at bit.ly slash bsdiscord. I notice we don't actually have a channel for the podcast in there. I feel like we should. Is that a thing we should do? Maybe. Yeah. We're going to make one. Okay. Cool. The Discord now has categories. Yeah. So we could make some categories. (laughs) (laughs) Probably a channel's fine, but yeah. Like a channel or category. Anyways. um, So yeah, that's at bit.ly slash BS Discord. Come say hi. We also have a mailbox. So if you'd like to send us a letter, candy, candy, uh, head on over to mailbox.bscotch.net. And as we... Mentioned just a moment ago, if you want to just send us an email, uh, you can just send that over to podcast at bscotch.net. Also, we depend on word of mouth and reviews uh, to get new listeners. We are pushing for that 100, 100 iTunes reviews. So if you're listening, uh, or sorry, Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. I, I need to I need to yeah, update my, mm-hmm. my text. Your, your cash is yeah. wrong. You got an uh, invalid cash. <laughs> <laughs> invalid caching error. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, help us out by going to bit.ly slash Apple. Give us a five-star review. It'll help us out a lot. It'll help us spread the word and give us opportunities to get the podcast featured in other areas. So we really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.